0: What is Jesus' vision for friendship? Scott Sauls is our guest this week discussing how to seek true friendship in a world where friendship can be hard to find. It's all on episode 87 of the Church Leaders Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess.
0: Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 87 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host. And this week, we're talking with Scott Sauls. Scott is a senior minister of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Previously, he was a lead and preaching pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, where he worked alongside Tim Keller. We talked to Scott about his new book called Befriend on how Christians can cultivate true friendship. And now, here's our conversation with Scott Sauls. Well, Scott, it is awesome to have you as our guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks so much for being with us.
1: Thank you, Andrew, it's good to be with you.
0: Scott, I'm excited to talk to you today because I love uh, the book that you've written titled Befriend. It really struck me, Um, it just didn't even, like there's a lot of books that I read that that just hits me, like the Holy Spirit wanted me to to hear this message. So talk to us about kind of how the idea for this book uh, came about.
1: Well, uh, the idea, Came really as a as a byproduct of a, of a few things. Uh, one was just sort of personal observations about uh, the impact of social media, both you know positive and negative, on on the human soul and even on my own experience. Um, you know, technology connects us in many ways more than we've ever been connected, but but there's also um, potentially an isolating effect. Uh, if If most of our interaction with with other people is is through a screen, um, you know there have actually been uh, you know articles written and studies done that indicate that when social media use goes up and personal face to face interaction goes down, depression and anxiety increase um, and so uh, I wanted to sort of get back to or at least just write some reflections on what it could look like to get back to a more incarnational approach to relationship and, um, human interaction. Um, you know, just as people created in the image of God, uh, just felt like it was important to collect my own thoughts just from my own experience. And it it of course ended up, you know, a product, uh, you know, being, being, uh, I guess one of the outcomes is, is the book that came out of it. Um, but, but there's also the subtitle of the book that I think, um, you know, some would, say some who've read the book would say is is probably the chief purpose of the book. And the subtitle is create belonging in an age of judgment, isolation, and fear. And so the the book as a whole, in in many ways is an observation of of the many different ways in which um, we can distance ourselves uh, from others. We can divide over, you know, things like ideology and politics and, personal opinion, life experience, race, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, And I'm trying to make a case, especially for those who identify with Jesus, um, I'm trying to make a case for taking these potential differences that we have with other people and turning them into occasions to love and to press in and embrace diversity and pursue friendship rather than just sort of isolating ourselves into you know, echo chambers where, you know, the only input we ever get is from people who think and believe and live exactly as we do. And so just a lot of riches and fullness available, uh, when we engage those that the book calls the other.
0: Yeah. And I love at, at the beginning, you, you do, you distinguish between real friendship and some things that I think a lot of us would consider real friendship. Uh, I want to uh-huh. talk about a few of those. Um, the first one you bring up is digital friendship. And how that yeah. is is different than real friendship. Talk about how um, how sometimes we may see a digital friend in a way, but it's not real. It's not real a real friendship.
1: Well, I think truth be told, many of us, especially those of us who are public people, maybe in ministry, which I guess constitutes most of your listeners. Truth be told, we have a lot more fans and admirers and and such than we do actual friends, because you know the definition of a friend is um, somebody who knows you and somebody who's known by you and you know most of us who are public people at least, are, are our stories are typically known uh, a lot more than we know the stories of, of the people that we you know we're ministering to and among. and And so that can have an isolating effect. but but you know the digital friendship concept, um, you know just gets back again to what I was talking about a minute ago about social media and how online, on things like social media, Facebook, Twitter, and so on, we tend to present the best version of ourselves. We, we present an edited version of who we are and that way we don't get the full picture, um, you know, of, of other people and other people don't get the full picture of us. And what that can sometimes lead to is us comparing ourselves with other people's lives, um, or at least what other people's lives look like in the edited version. And that you know can oftentimes lead to discouragement um you know when when everybody else's life looks so perfect and so on. but the other thing that social media does is it creates interaction and sound bites um you know as opposed to a long lingering nuanced conversation that really is the the best um breeding ground for true intimacy and deep intimacy. You know, we lose a lot of that when when it when it's digital. We lose eye contact. We lose uh, body language. We lose presence, uh, and in many ways, we we lose intimacy as a result.
0: I like that. Getting kind of getting back to what conversations have always been historically, and and now social media has kind of changed what a conversation can look like.
1: Talk about it. Um, can I, I? I wouldn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, there, there are a lot of really positive things about social media and the way that it connects us and the way that it, it creates new opportunities oftentimes for us to move toward, you know, others and others to move toward us. So I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But just, I think I think if I hear you right, you're saying that if, if we just leave our, our relationships in social media, that we should kind of have this goal in mind of, of having these experiences where we're having actual conversations and, and, and able to share the good and the bad, uh, from our lives.
1: Yeah, I, I I think the more the more in-person uh, interaction that we have, the the more potential it creates for knowing and being known. Of course, we're we're incarnational people. We're 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 embodied souls, and we're meant to be in community. I mean, even even just looking at scripture, God doesn't call us to Himself in isolation. He calls us to Himself in a community, and you know, so many of the you know the vast majority of the you know the the statements in scripture. Uh, you know when when the writers of scripture use the term "you," uh, it, it's almost always plural, and and so, you know, I I think in many ways the 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 book is just an attempt to call us all back to to that. Hmm.
0: Yeah, in your book you use the the term "gritty friendship." I really liked. That. I think the example was two pieces of sandpaper being rubbed together. Explain kind of what you mean by that.
1: Yeah, I I. Uh you know, when I talk about the, the sandpaper analogy, um, that represents, you know, the friction and the tensions that we can sometimes, uh, experience in, in the more, you know, transparent expressions of friendship. I mean, when you, when you have two people in the same room, uh, you know, by definition of being a fallen human being, you've got two broken people who bring their baggage. And so there's, there's potential for, you know, irritating one another, there's potential for misunderstanding and being misunderstood uh there's potential for hurt and those sorts of things and Of course, the gospel calls us not to division in those situations but toward reconciliation and peace and he you know he calls us to in many ways be allies with one another to help improve one another's character and you know like ephesians five says to present one another as you know pure uh to christ and so really the goal of every friendship is to Get ourselves and each other ready, uh, more ready for Christ and for knowing christ and that that includes the refinement of character you know r- friendship reaches a much deeper level and, and a truer level when both parties you know have permission from the other to point out flaws and and to challenge and to push back and those sorts of things uh, and when things aren't right with us and um, you know that creates the opportunity for you know, things like humble apologies and forgiveness and all these wonderful gospel interactions that that the scriptures call us to. But there is a you know kind of a sandpaper dynamic where you take two gritty people and they rub, you know, against each other, uh and, and there's friction and uh with the friction comes heat and and discomfort and so on. But at the end of the process, both of those pieces of sandpaper are smoother rather than rougher um, as a result of the friction. And so uh, I guess what I'm trying to, you know, communicate in that part of the book is, is that there is redemptive value uh, to and sanctifying value. We become more like Christ the more you know, the more gritty and honest our our interactions are with one another. I mean Matthew eighteen, Galatians six and, and many other passages, the proverbs talk about, you know, faithful are the wounds of a brother. And, you know, let let a brother strike me, uh when I when I'm being offensive, when I'm out of line, let a brother strike me and it, it it's a kindness when he does. You know, the, the the very nature of the gospel is is God coming and Confronting sin in the world, not because he 's against us, but because he 's for us, and he wants us to be healed, and he wants us to live life to the full and, and part of that means to you know rooting the sin and, and the brokenness and dysfunction out of us so that we can be healed and and you know God gives us that dynamic in relationship with one another. The healthiest relationships are, are going to be both filled with encouragement uh, and also in many ways include uh, a willingness and you know and even a, a relative frequency of of helping one another be better versions of ourselves.
0: Mm, I like that. You know, I think we probably all as we as we hear you talk about that can think about friendships where we've kind of had this go wrong where, you know, maybe we shared something or or brought truth, like kind of brought some tough love into a friendship and that that friendship kind of soured and and we, we we feel like we lost that friendship. In those circumstances, mm-hmm. how do is is there is it was that just a bad timing thing or did we do it the wrong way or how do we kind of fight for friendships when somebody may pull away from us because we we were a little too gritty as you say
1: yeah i mean the challenge is that that we've we've got to be um you got to have two parties <laughs> you know, both parties have to be you know sort of all in and covenanted with one another and I, you know i i suspect that that's part of the reason why when god created marriage he created you know, an inseparable union where he basically says, if you're going to marry yourself to another person, you know, I'm I'm going to call you to a level of commitment to one another where, where, where you can't separate, you know, what God has joined together, let no man separate, which means that I'm giving you a situation in in, in which, you know, eject is not an option in which, you know, withdrawal and moving away and distancing from one another is not an option. Uh Uh, Instead you persevere and endure with one another and, and, I think marriage is actually a good prototype for for true friendship. I mean, you look at David and Jonathan, one of the tightest friendships in the history of the world, and it says that David and Jonathan covenanted with one another. They they made a covenant with one another. And and you know, their loyalty to each other went even beyond death. You know, David adopts Jonathan's son, you know, after Jonathan dies in battle, David adopts Jonathan's son. Mephibosheth into his own household and into his own family. He's that, that fiercely loyal that, that, that his love even goes beyond death. And, you know, that's the kind of relationship that God calls us to. And, and it, it's a bit foreign, especially in, in our sort of Western American context where the individual is supreme and the community is negotiable. Um, and I think this concept, you know, in many ways is going to make more sense in in Eastern cultures where the community is supreme and the individual is, is, you know, the individual rights and individual preferences is secondary to um, the needs of the community. And, and so in many ways, this is a very, very counterculture way of of talking about being in relationship because we're we're so accustomed to checking in and out of communities uh, you know, checking in and out of friendships checking in and out of marriages, checking in and out of, of, of church communities and so on. And, you know, the gospel calls us to something much more, you know, deeply and fiercely loyal and, and long-term than that. Um, And, and so I think it, it first and foremost takes a a deep theological understanding and buy-in to what God says in, in his word about what community and friendship really is. But, but that's gotta be a shared vision by every person in the equation you know, otherwise, you've got one person doing all the pursuing, all the forgiving, all of the transparency, and the other person you know just reserving the right to check out if the relationship becomes costly um, uh you know rather than you know beneficial uh, so to speak and so uh, a lot of it just has to do I think with a lack of understanding and a lack of buy-in uh on on what God himself says about the true nature of community.
0: I love that. I think it's, it's, it's like, as you say, communicating in those friendships, like this could get hard or could go badly and I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm going to continue to pursue this friendship. And yeah, you know, I think marriage is, you're right. Marriage is a perfect picture of that. In your book, you talk about one of the things you said that really, really struck out to me is that real friendship happens when we move toward the people that we are most tempted to avoid. Um, and that really yeah. hit me, you know, as we do that, um, I think all of us can think of people that we meet or that we're in relationship with that we just have this natural tendency to avoid, and and how do we, you know, how do we kind of move towards instead of avoiding them, but really moving towards them towards friendship?
1: Well, I I, I think um, yeah, maybe I'll answer that question with an observation of, you know, maybe maybe the the viewpoint that that some would express about the local church um you know every now and then as a pastor i'll i'll hear or i'll read you know a blog post or something by somebody who says you know i'm all in with jesus but i'm done with the local church and and the reason that is often given is you know that the local church today isn't anything like the new testament church and and i i i often you know think to myself what what is this person's vision or view or understanding of what a new Testament church is because the, the new Testament church that gets more press and more attention than any other new Testament church is the church at Corinth. And, you know, you've got the rich ignoring the poor. You've got a guy who's, you know, having an affair with his stepmother. You've got people in the church suing each other in the courts over frivolous things. I mean, you, you've got gossip, slander, all kinds of social irritants in in, in Corinth. You know, the love chapter, uh, it was written by Paul initially as a rebuke, because every attribute of love that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 13 was everything that the Corinthians were not. And, and so you have this messy, broken community, and, and Paul, instead of checking out on them, you know, presses in and you know affirms his love for them calls them brothers and sisters and you know just makes it very clear that that he's not going to distance himself from them instead he's going to work for their health and for their redemption and so uh, you know to your question you know friendship hasn't really reached the level of biblical you know friendship until somebody has irritated us and we have dis- we dis- or offended us and we decide to stay you know that the true test of love is not that you like somebody, uh, that you enjoy being around them. The true test of love is when they offend you or you offend them, and you you move toward them instead of away from them uh, as a result of them offending you or you offending them. You, you seek and pursue reconciliation. You, you treat it like a family because the church is a family. And guess what? We don't get to choose who our family members are. You know, God chooses who our family members are. And he chooses what their personalities are going to be like. He chooses what they're going to be like in five years versus what they are right now. And and so, you know, the calling on us, uh, you know, f- from the Lord is, is just to honor and, and, and exalt the, the, the image of God in the other person and, and to look at the other person as an incomplete work in progress who is destined for glory. And you know, in many ways, falling in love with somebody biblically, or or growing in affection towards somebody biblically, uh, includes as a chief component um, reminding ourselves of what God is going to eventually make that person into. I mean, I love what C.S. Lewis does in in um, in the Weight of Glory when he talks about how you know we, we we've never interacted with a mere mortal, and every single person we interact with is a potential glorious, you know, creature that if we were to see them in their future final state uh, after God's done, you know, completing the work that he begun in them, we would be seriously tempted to bow down and worship, uh, you know, if we were to see them in their future state. And so to be able to look at other people that that maybe we were having difficulty with, with eyes of faith, that, that, that this is a person that God has begun a good work in, and he's going to complete that work. And and, you know, far be it from me to withdraw from somebody that God has committed to complete them, <laughs> you, know, you know, and so, uh, I guess those, those would be initial thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. I like that. And, and talk to the person who's listening, who they're thinking of somebody that they're estranged from and they're thinking in their heart, yeah, but they did this or they, you know, they mm-hmm. crossed the line or they went too far. Yeah. Um, they did something I can't forgive. Is there, is there a yeah. balance to, you know, there's going to be some times where, you know, probably the best thing is to just kind of walk away from that friendship?
1: Uh, I think so. Um, you know, when 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 Hebrews talks about spurring one another on toward love and good deeds, you know, and you think about what spurs are used for, it's an irritant to help the horse run at full capacity. You know, the irritant, you know, in the side of the, the spur, in the side of the horse helps the horse to run at, you know, 80 or 90% speed and capacity rather than 10 or 20%. But then, you know, you take a, uh, you, you, you exchange a a spur for a sword or a dagger, and all of a sudden that instrument that was used to help and strengthen the horse now is an instrument that could be used to destroy or, or to abuse or severely injure the horse. And so I, I would say this, that the only person in history that should submit to abuse is Jesus Christ. Uh, none of us should submit to ongoing abuse, um, you know, Christ's unique calling was to, um, you know, be wounded uh, by perpetrators and by abusers, and of course we're among them because of our sin. Um, but that was his unique, you know, calling toward the world. He so loved the world, you know, that, that he gave himself and submitted to the cross and, and endured it and so on. But I, I don't believe that there's any case that can be made that that we should continue in a in a relationship in which somebody continues to uh, abuse us you know physically verbally you know there 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 is a difference between forgiveness and trust and, you know forgiveness is 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 granted as a christian for any and every offense uh, you know that's our call to forgive and to forgive is it's a hard thing. It's not an easy, sappy, sentimental thing. It's a gutsy, very hard, painful thing to forgive somebody because what it basically means is I am absorbing the the injury that's been done to me uh, and refusing uh, the right to retaliate. And instead, I'm I'm entrusting this this person to God, uh, and God will be this person's judge. And that that can be a very hard and painful and gut wrenching thing uh, to entrust everything to God, who judges justly, but Forgiving is different than trusting somebody. If somebody has injured me and they they haven't shown any sign of remorse, any sign of of sorrow, any sign of regret, then the wise thing, and I think the right and good thing, is to withdraw and and to distance myself. I mean, you even see the disciples doing this after Jesus is crucified. They they go and they, they they hide in a in an enclosed room together, you know, to get away from you know their potential persecutors. And so. You know, I would say that somebody who's in an abusive situation should retreat and feel no remorse or sorrow or guilt about retreating. And and so, you know, what, what this requires is a, a significant, you know, an understanding of the significant difference between trust and forgiveness.
0: Mm. Scott, talk about as you lead your church, um, you know, you talk about, I love the subtitle, Creating Belonging in an Age of Judgment, Isolation, and Fear— in your church, how do you create a culture of friendship? How do you how do you do that as the pastor, where you're you're kind of encouraging your people to be a place where kind of pushing against some of these things that we see in the culture?
1: Well, um, you know, to write books like the one I have and share it <laughs> with our church. I mean, it was it was chiefly conceived the book was as a resource for for people in our own church here to, you know, enhance our vision for what true community and friendship uh, and transparency and such can look like. But um, I, I, I think a lot of it, a lot of it just has to do with, with the way that that leaders conduct their lives and, and, and how a staff culture and a leadership culture is cultivated. And the more relational health there is in, in staff and leader culture um, you know, that tends to make its way into the, the community as well. But, But I think, you know, placing strong emphasis on on scriptures like Matthew 18, you know, where Jesus lays out the reconciliation process for us and and passages like Galatians 6, where, you know, it says if any of you is spiritual, you know, if any of you is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore that person gently. You know, and examples of like what Paul does in First Corinthians of challenging the Corinthians for their dysfunction, but also sticking with them and loving them. I, I think putting these scriptures in front of our people and and imagining out loud ways of of of, of how we are, we're meant to live these things out is the starting point. But I think eventually, when push comes to shove, you know, leaders have to take the lead. And part of the way that we do that is is in the way that we respond to criticism. You know, if you're if you're doing anything worth doing in ministry, you're going to be criticized and Every time you're criticized, you have a choice. You have a choice between becoming defensive, between striking back, between you know running around the person's back and gossiping about them or dealing with it redemptively. and, and you know in many ways I think the way that we we set an example is, is hopefully going to be caught by the people that we're leading. but it, it really does start with the leadership.
0: I really like that. Scott, it's been so great to talk to you. I'm really excited about your book Befriend. And uh, it's been great to see uh, such a great response on social media. Uh, a lot of people have been uh, been tweeting it, and we'll link to uh, where people can get the book in the show notes for this episode. But thanks so much for taking time to share with us today, and thanks for writing this book.
1: Thank you. It's been great being with you.
0: Thanks again to Scott Sauls for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, and consider sending this episode to somebody you know. That might benefit from listening to it also you can always download the show notes for this episode and every episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast in those show notes we include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guest top content on churchleaders.com as always if you have ideas for how we can improve the podcast or guests that you'd love to hear us interview email us at podcast at churchleaders.com thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week